Welcome everybody, my name is Alexander Grieb, I am the Customer Advisory Lead at Svahana Strategy at SAP and you are listening to the SAP Experts Podcast. Special episode today for many reasons, because first, no guest today, partly because everybody is on vacation at the moment, also I will be in a few days and move out of my home office into my garage and workshop so we will go into something of a short summer break for a few weeks until your favorite podcast will return in early September with many new thrilling episodes. And I can promise you a lot of interesting guests and topics, for example the godfather of CRM, Mr. Bob Stutz. We will see the return of Timo Elliott as well as episodes about the future of user interfaces, application security, best practices, of course, and much, much more. So it may be quiet now for a few weeks, but we will return even better for season two of the SAP Experts podcast. Season two in that case also because, well, we are celebrating birthday. The SAP Experts podcast has become now one year old since I started it in August 2019. And boy, did I not expect the way it would develop. I did plan it to be, yeah, well, a nifty little and edgy podcast that would fin find its niche for not only marketing-like messaging, but be open and give you the best expert insight of how to do things right and not close its eyes in front of anything. And turn out, it became a global top 20 Apple chart tech podcast. The most successful podcast in the SAP ecosystem was a very loyal audience. So let me express my gratitude and a big thank you. Your loyalty is motivation and obligation to continue and bring you the best content available. Thank you very much. Well, the other reason though for not having a guest today is that I promised you, I know, to do a Q&A because I got quite a lot of messages asking for advice, which of course I want to comply. So you send your questions either to me directly or our email address sapexpertspodcast at sap.com. And interestingly, many of your questions concentrate from a topic side on the approach to S4HANA, which seems to be something which is obviously quite relevant for a lot of people. The first question is coming from Jay from India, and he's asking, what is for you the most important message slash takeaway of the last episodes concerning SAP S for HANA? Well, I think I would say it is basically a topic which goes a little bit back because it it is a thing that took a bit to mature in my mind. Um, it was first coming up in the episode I did with Uwe Grigolait, um, the right approach to S4HANA, where we were talking about the specifics of ECC and S4 and the right way to approach that whole topic. And the question or a question that was coming up there was, why do ECC users work in their legacy ERP the way they do and probably you would answer this question quite naturally from the first thought like because they want to like they 
implemented it that way, they modified it that way, or they configured it that way because of maybe industry specifics <clears throat> or they or because of their strategy. And the the point that was coming up there was that the probably more honest answer would be it is because or let's say it that way, they work that way because this is the only way the limitations of the legacy technology of the legacy ERP allows them to do. And this is quite an astonishing thought in my opinion because I think it's much more true than you would think about it in the first second. Because just imagine, um, it is quite, quite natural that you're just as performant as the capabilities and the technology allows you to do. And you can take, for example, one of my, let's say, favorite friends from my SCM time, which is the MRP run, is one of the best examples. Because the MRP run um, in ECC, this is where in reality, which runs with most of our customers probably like once a day in the night. Yeah, uh, There are also some which can are only able to run their MRP once per week because they say, I do not have this kind of space of time in the night where everybody sleeps, where I can run my longer and longer, longer MRP. I have to do it on the weekend. And this means, of course, that they have to optimize themselves around this, let's say, limitation. So everything what they do is more or less with that thing in the back of the mind. Like where, when they, for example, have new products and they have new processes, they have to adapt them more or less to these kinds of limitation. And this thought has very, very, very many consequences. For example, when you look forward and say, okay, now I'm leaving ECC behind, I'm going now to SAP for HANA. How do you behave in that moment? And we were talking like in previous episodes a lot about, for example, the best practices of best-in-class adopters where we were saying that you really have to look forward. You have to start from your strategy or like where you want to be like in two to three, five years. And this, I think, underlines this point a lot because when you say, I just do something of a lean conversion, I just take my legacy processes and um, shift them on to SAP, as for HANA, you basically take your limitations with you where they do not exist. So in my opinion, having that kind of mindset to look back and take it with you at first instead of going and looking to the future is, in my opinion, one of the biggest mistakes you can make. And this then, of course, hinders you to get the best out of S4. If you do that, you will probably not get all the horsepowers of S4 HANA to the street. So I think this is something you really have to discuss and you should discuss when you approach that topic. And by because of that, I think this is a really thrilling message of the last episodes. So, next question. Alison is asking, can you elaborate further on your concept about finding the right transition model? Um, 
she's asking about basically the big questions that you always have, like do I do a green field or do I do a brown field or maybe something in between with the selective methods. I think I we already talked about a bit in a former episode about this. I want to lay down this a bit deeper because this is a topic which is very important for me. I meet a lot of customers who more or less greet me already with that saying like I'm a conversion customer or I'm a brownfield customer. So it seems like they have already made up their mind a lot of, about this topic. And probably there has not been, which is my experience, not been a proper analysis. They just like look about what their processes are and say like... Mm. We, we will do a brownfield. We will do a brownfield. We do not want to really open up this, this what they may, may think, Pandora's box and, and, and really think about it. We want to treat this pure more as an, as an IT topic. And this is not the best way I would propose to do. Because when you look, for example, the episode ahead with Michael Sokolek, where we talked about the differences between the transition models, you will get different results with each different transition method. So it's not like this that it doesn't matter if you turn right or left. It does matter. And you really should take a thought about what would be the right transition method for you. And my personal best practice, what I do with my customers is something of an exercise where I say like, before we commit ourselves to one of these transition models, let's let's do exercise and this exercise is that we draw something of a what i may call a process map where you like divide your processes into commodity processes and differentiating processes and you remember this was one of the best practices that um, best-in-class adopters actually do why should you do that like we said um Every company has commodity processes. These are the processes where basically everybody more or less has a certain has the same aim to work like a certain best practices everybody aims to. That's where, for example, an automotive OEM and a retailer they they do not differ a lot. And those classic processes are like HR, for example, or travel cost management, and so on and so on. So. Those are commodity processes. And then your differentiating processes, those are the processes where you want to be different than your competitor, for example. That's where your competition strategy goes to. That's where your customers decide to buy from you and not from the other company. So this is more or less the, let's say, battlefield where you probably should spend most of your clever thoughts there because... These differentiating processes are those that yeah, more or less decide about winning or losing. So what you should do is like think about the commodity processes. Those are the ones you want to consume as, let's say, process as a service. You want to put them into the cloud. No necessary, it's not necessary to like um, start from zero there. But concerning the different uh, the, the differentiating processes, That's where you first should like mirror your strategy to and ask yourself like what are my customers expecting from me? What 
is my business model shifting? Maybe I do have different products in like two to three years than today. Like what is really happening there? And based on that, you, of course, like build something of a list of topics of innovation points that you that you want to do there in these kinds of differentiating processes. So that's the strategic part. But you also should go onto these differentiating processes from a different direction. And these are the solution direction, as I saw. So you think about like what could I do or what can benefits can I get with onboard innovations that S4HANA, for example, offers me. As for example, with the predictive MRP, what can I What kind of additional capabilities I did not have before? Can I win by that? Or you think about DDMRP on that side. Or, for example, other things that really up your game. And these also add to your list of topics that you want to implement with a new S4 implementa uh, implementation. Or, a, let's say, why going to S4? And then you take this list and you make something of a timeline with three phases in it. And this timeline and these three phases are like short-term, mid-term and long-term. Short-term is more or less probably your project duration. And the mid-term space is more like year one after your go-life. And the long-term is like year two plus. And then you take these points, these innovation points, or whatever you may call it, like this... Um, working list and you sort these points under those areas where you think like this is a short-term topic this is a mid-term topic and this is a long-term topic and you will realize that for every customer then this picture of lists below these phases looks different there may be customers who have lots of these points in the short-term section those customers obviously have let's say, a lot of urge to change things if they have a lot of these points in the short term, um, which means like they have, for example, big pressure from the market, they have to implement new business models, or they have maybe a very old system which is not really up to par what, what they need. So obviously a customer like that is not a conversion customer because he has issues that he wants to solve on a short term. So if you have something like this, a picture where a lot of these points are more on the left, more on like the short-term side, probably you are not a conversion customer. You should think about um, doing something of a greenfield or at least a selective transition. If it's, for example, like that, that your points are most on the mid or on the, let's say, long-term side, then it seems like, okay, um, it seems to be fine with your processes at the moment. So probably a conversion can be a thing that actually works quite good with you. So you do then a conversion and then after you've done your go life, you go now into the innovation um, topics and implement them afterwards. So if you do this kind of exercise, this is not a big thing. Um, you at least get something of a very clear picture and what kind of situation you are. And your decision on which kind of transition model um, you should jump on gets fact-based and not in most of the cases 
like it used to be in more or less emotion or fear-based. So I would recommend you to do this exercise and not like go into it with like tools and something like that, which is talking about, um, let's say, benefits immediately, but you go into this exercise and then you have a quite better and more fact-based picture about your situation and probably what kind of transition method you should choose as yours. Good, so much about that. Um, about implementation partner choice, the next question from Stefan, he says, in my company, I am in the situation that we have to choose our implementation partner. What are the most important topics that I should check mark? Well, Implementation partner, of course, is a very important topic because he will be your best friend during the implementation. And also he will play a big part in the success of it. So you should really base your decision on the dimensions that are really important in that area. I think since we've talked about the transition models, what you really should consider in the beginning is um, there are of course partners who have maybe certain specializations and there are partners for example who are strongly going into the let's say conversion direction others are maybe very strong in the greenfield direction and by this of course you have to be careful when you have done for example this exercise that um, I've told you one question before um, and you have a partner which, for example, is probably very strong on the greenfield side and the conversion is the thing that's better for you. It can be, of course, that either he tries to push you a bit into, the, into that side that fits him best, which may not be your best, but best for him because he is most competent in that area. Or um, his participation to that discussion may not be completely neutral. So when you choose your partner for implementing S4HANA, you of course should check if he is the right partner for that transition model that you choose. This is the first thing that you should check. The second thing of course um, is like what has he done before? I'm sometimes also very surprised how many um, as sheer X4HANA experts suddenly have appeared on the market that you have never really heard before. And then when you look into like their, um, their website or like in their publications, then you see like the name is written wrong, maybe S4HANA with a backslash and so on. And yeah, you should take somebody who has done that before. And It's not probably that one the best for you who has probably like uh, 30 years of ECC implementing experience, but it's those company better for you who has this explicit S4 experience. And quite often, very honestly, there are new young partners, small companies, very innovative companies, for example, who have are not in that size, maybe like the big players, but who have, very, have done very innovative, great projects like um, in, in the S4HANA region, um, 
consider them because um, they know what they do because they have done it before. They have not like this look back and may force you a little bit into that kind of direction. But um, they be maybe um, an, a very interesting choice for you. So this is also something which is um, very important in my opinion. So what have you said? Like first thing you should check if, if it's like the right transition model and what are is his or her experiences concerning Esfahana projects. Of course, industry knowledge, definitely. Um, that's something that obviously matters. But um, then, of course, the biggest thing that can happen to you in that case, of course, is like missing cap capacities on a partner side. This is something really what at the moment is an issue. Um, SAP S4HANA experts are in high demand and you should really take care that your timetable matches to the available capacities that the partner can offer you. And this is quite often something which matters most to many. yeah. And then they maybe take like the partner they have a bad feeling about or they would not have chosen, but he's the one who has the available resources. Consider this really, really seriously because like I said, um, your partner is your best friend during that period and um, always consider the best choice in that way. Also, maybe as an additional advice I can give you, also consider like using from SAP DBS the kind of quality assurance services they offer, like premium engagement and so on. It's, it's not that you um, have to do like the whole project with them, but having something like a quality assurance guy on board who really like takes it over and is your connection to the um, software vendor is of course always a good thing to have. So also include like DBS in your initiative. Um, this also is quite often a good idea. And ask quite um, about what kind of innovative ideas they have in this area. Because we have, for example, partners who are very innovative, for example, concerning the selective data transition. Um, they have invented and implemented methodologies and so on, which are highly interesting. So if you have somebody there who is obviously very, very keen and very on the innovation side, yeah, you probably will not get something out in the end which completely ignores all the innovational um, aspects of S4. So if you have somebody who appears very innovative and somebody who is quite conservative... Take your choice. Who is the right one for you? Good. Next question. What are your favorite podcasts besides your own? <laughs> That's a good one. Um, to be honest, I, at the moment, I think we are all in the same situation. I do not listen so much to podcasts like in podcasts like in non-covid times because that that's a problem we as podcaster have now especially when you have to do have are doing something like a professional podcast about business stuff and not about like private or hobby stuff because 
the, the normal use case, uh, like I discussed with Steven Spears, um, is of course that you get listened when you are when your listeners are sitting in the car or on the plane and so on. So something which is not now happening to that extent like it used to be until March this year. So that's also why the um, overall numbers of listeners have gone down a bit for professional podcasts. But of course, um, I listen a lot to podcasts which uh, are not like straight sticking to the SAP topic. So one of my favorite, of course, is um, the Tim Ferriss show, which is, I think, a classic and um, one of the biggest overall where Tim Ferriss, um, who is a um, very respected author in himself is talking with let's say world-class performers about their routines and their stories and so on and those episodes are quite long like up to two and a half or three hours or something like that but he has the guests you really want to listen to like for three hours when he talks for example with um i think one was with um jeff bezos and so on there you can really learn a lot And um, that's something, of course, I recommend you also like to listen to. Also, some podcasts, um, let's say from the automotive side, because I am that's like from my private interests or private interests, um, which I'm very keen on. Of course, is let's say the uh, Smoking Tire podcast by Matt Farah, um, or also very interesting, of course, the the big questions with Cal Fossman. Carl Fossman, uh, award-winning author and journalist, um, there you really learn about storytelling. The stories he tells and gets out of his guests are very, very astonishing. That's something you really should should, should take an eye on because um, this is something which is very special. Of course, the Joe Rogan experience. Um, this is something what I also enjoy, but to be honest, um, Joe Rogan is putting up so many um, episodes in such a high frequency, uh, which I think is like almost about twice a week, um, that I, to be honest, cannot follow like each individual episode. Another one which is very interesting, in my opinion, is the Jocko podcast by Jocko Willing. I'm not really sure if you know him. Jocko Willing is a former naval officer who served in the Navy SEALs. And he is of course talking a lot about from his perspective as a former soldier about leadership and if you are interested in these kinds of topics especially leadership oriented the messaging that he does is really up to point he he does not really talk talk around the cake a lot he is really up to point so if you're interested in those topics Jocko Willing and of course from the German side I have one who i really enjoy it's about yeah this is about my private interests i am a car buff especially concerning classic stuff classic racing and so on it's called the alte schule podcast and um, the alte schule is covering more or less the racing golden racing area from the 60s till 80s and um, carsten arndt there is interviewing Yeah, all the giants from that time, race car drivers, engineers, 
uh, team owners and so on. This is something I personally, for my private life, also enjoy a lot. What are your expectation recommendations for young people entering this industry? Um, Shane is asking that. And I think when you are now, like for example, a young person, you're finished with your university and you decided to go into this tech industry, of course you are in interesting times now. I'm not just talking about Corona, which suddenly within half a year has made it not so easy anymore to find a new or find a job. Um, don't be discouraged because of that. Because to be honest, I was in a, or my generation guys like who are as old as me were in a similar situation when we were your age. Like in 2003, 2004, the new economy bubble has just burst and economies was not really doing good. Um, we were in something that was called the interim, sorry, the internship generation. Generation Practicum was a German name for it, which means like you were, when you had your papers and when you were finished with university, very, very often you were forced to have unpaid internships for quite a long time, like a, like a year or, the, or a year and a half until you had the possibility and the chance like to really apply or, and, 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 and taking over professionally. So it was already like this back then. We had now in like from probably like 2006 on um, or like after the finance crisis times where everything was just going up, up, up. And of course, like when you are reasonable and you came from university, you were like more or less cashed and just right put into a job it's not like this but like at the moment but like i said it has been like that before and it will get better still with the since we are in the age of digitalization still the possibilities are enormous so how you should behave or how you should put your mindset up in let's say this aspect i think the most important thing that you can do now is what Ivo Bauermann said in the episode that we make together called um, We Need a Bigger Boat, referring to that Jaws quote. When he said, um, don't comply, break the rules, which means like do not try to assimilate yourself into a community, but bring yourself into it and help to renew and maybe rebuild our industry every day. That's what we need. That's what companies need. These fresh ideas, these new ideas, these guys that do not accept and live strictly by the status quo to survive and to prosper and to have a future. And that's something which is from a mindset side, in my opinion, really important. When you think or when you say like you want to become an expert, for example, I think it's very important, of course, that you have knowledge not only about the solution, but also about the customer situation. So it's quite often a good idea like to spend maybe one or two years on the user side, like when you're working in, in another industry, for example, like at, at the tech industry and get to know your customers from or your future customers from their side. 
or if you, for example, start as a consultant where you implement it, so you also have from the beginning this close customer contacts. I am always a little bit, I have problems with like people who basically never seen a customer live, but are working or have come in positions where they are talking about, let, let's say, strategy, how to approach them best. This is most of the cases very theoretically, not really helpful. So try to get practical knowledge as much as possible and go out. Okay, that's not possible at the moment, but generally go out, go to the customers, learn the different situations customers are in, um, learn the, the solution from the user side. This is something which is adding enormously value not only to your company, but also to yourself, but you can thrive from these experiences endlessly. And that's also what I did, like what I do from my past. So many lessons learned, I, which really helped me doing my job now, I have from my time as being a consultant and um, doing this work for day and day. So from a mindset perspective, We've talked about this and get as much practical knowledge um, as possible. The next question is quite similar. Like, how do you see the tasks of pre-sales in the age of digitalization? How does pre-sales change, obviously? Well, the pre-saler has always been more or less the guy with the demo. Like, a pre-saler in, let's say, recent times has quite often been the one coming or like being called by an account executive and then sent to a customer for a workshop because the customer wants to be informed about capabilities, benefits, and so on and so on. So what the pre-saler in those cases did most of the times and still in many cases does is like going there, more or less taking or giving a demo showcasing things and so on answering questions and then like closing his laptop and going to the next assignment so his viewpoint is dominantly from the solution side and not really focused on the individual situation of the customer this is something where i clearly say this is not enough anymore a pre-seller now has to be first the consultant of the account executive. The account executive should involve the pre-saler from the beginning of the sales cycle, like saying, I have a customer here who is in this situation, who has this strategy and is, for example, interested in S4HANA. So those two guys should work together from that moment of and um, together build up something of a customer individual strategy to have that sales cycle successfully, like saying, okay, in what kind of situations that. And the pre-saler is, is, is a very important input giver because the pre-saler from his own experience can consult the account executive on things like how an agenda should be uh, look like, what, how, what kind of topics should be addressed in this agenda or in the workshops or should, of course, in the workshop or in the pre-discussion, speak to the customer and listen to the customer because he is a pre-seller guy. He should know and he should recognize um, the 
um, topics and the issues that the customer has and be able to react individually and modify his approach to be individual fitting to that customer strategy and to that yeah. customer situation. And then talking about the right things and, and uh, um, the right topics in his participation in the workshop. Which also means, and this is also, in my opinion, new, that a pre-saler for an ERP like S4HANA should also, of course, be able to talk business. We talked about this, I think, endlessly already on this podcast, that S4HANA digitalization is a business topic. So it's not enough when you are able to, let's say, translate the benefits that we can offer with our solutions to the IT, you have to be able to talk and to translate this also to the business. And that means that you are able to speak business and you're not afraid to speak with the business people. So um, you should always be business-minded in your approach, which also means that you should also be able to talk, of course, to C-level executives. When you approach S4HANA right, and the digital core rights, then, of course, this is a major strategic undertaking from a customer perspective. So this, of course, should be really attached to your C-level, which means, of course, as a pre-seller, that you are able and not afraid of talking to C-level and that you talk in their language and you are able to talk in those areas which matter to them and not like... Yeah, becoming too fussy and talk about things which you should not probably um, present to a C-level. This is my opinion, what is the three most important aspects that in the age of digitalization, a modern pre-sales guy has to evolve to. What we said, like he has to be the consultant of the account executive, he has to be able to talk business and he has to be able to talk to C-level executives. Next one from Barbara how do you see the use of digital selling and presentation technologies which make sense which do not plus what do you think about the new reality concerning virtual meetings hmm. let's say it like that first I am convinced that we are a people business people buy applications business applications from people not from machines or something like that that means that when you are the representative of your company and you're the face to the customer you are as important in the way you present yourself and you present the solution as the solution itself so there are of course digital selling methods and helpers that can help you but like i said they can help you they are always optional not mandatory sometimes of course i see for myself that some things like are very pushed top down into the organizations like people are told do more videos and so something this can can make sense for example in a social media context um, but what i have seen quite a lot that you have recorded a video of yourself speaking, which you show when you are speaking in front of a customer in a workshop. This is something which in most cases does not get positive reactions because you have to imagine your audience is thinking about like this guy or this girl is standing in front of me. 
why does he showing a video of himself talking to me? Why, why does he not talk to me directly? And that is something what is really not helpful in my opinion. So again, choose topics and choose tools and services and so on wisely, which are appropriate for the situation and do not overdo it. Because always remember, you as a person, you as a human are in the center of this um, undertaking. So these are helpers, but it's not that you should overdo it. The second part of this question was, as far as I see the new reality concerning virtual meetings, of course, when, when we look back now, like in, in, in March, when everybody was shocked by this, um, by, by this lockdown, that we were forced like try to work from home and um, suddenly you were talking with video um, technology to um, C-level people, in their home office, like you were meeting more or less in your own house with them. Everybody was then quite or quickly relieved that, ah, okay, it is like this also possible to um, talk to customer this way. And this actually also works in a certain way. Yes. And it really helped us. And um, it was obvious that these technologies are, have been a very great help during that time. But will it remain again like that or will it become let's say the old normal i think we will some find something in between i think the we as humans we are social people we are like we we have to meet each other we have to see each other that's how we as humans work and think and what what we need so i think it makes definitely sense to try to when things get better to to meet each other more and but to be honest i think there are so many things that were normal and they were obligatory in like pre-covid times like to meet on site for certain things or certain meetings which if you look now to them for for what kind of reasons you traveled which do not make sense to regain it or to let's to become like that again so i think there will be for many reasons be something in between there will be much more happening sessions workshops conferences happening on a virtual side but not only not only i it, it makes definitely sense to rely stronger on that um, especially what sustainability and so on um, means. It does not make sense like to gush out airplane gasoline in gallons, in hundreds of gallons, uh, just to be at another place to drink a coffee while somebody else is speaking. This makes no sense at all. Um, so we will find ourselves, I think, in something in between in the future. Another one who says, like, um, I have problems to connect the strategy of my customers to the benefits of S4HANA, an unknown person who sends it, does probably does want to stay anonymous. Well, of course, it can happen that you are not really able to address the benefits in front of a customer properly. You can be in situations like that. And the reason 
for this, that it's happening like that, is that we, in my opinion, quite often focus not only right on the right things. We say like, okay, the customer doesn't understand me. Let's push tools and services on him. Like if I have something like a tool which gives him a report about the benefits, then of course it has to be clear to them. But then I see like, ah, he's not really getting the message still. Hmm. Why doesn't not it work like that? Well, I think it's about different layers of discussion. A customer is always thinking about his personal challenges and is fixated about his SS processes and about his strategy. And you come in there as a SAP person or a partner and you talk about features, functions and deployment models, tools and so on. And there is no match really happening, which I think is quite normal because when you approach it like that, you do not find a common language because a connecting layer is missing in that. Something which translates your benefits into the customer situation and vice versa. And what helps in my experience is something that um, I like to practice a lot because, for example, imagine I'm with a customer here in Germany who is a big telecommunications um, um, company and uh, this company has quite a lot of ERP systems. We're talking about a high two-digit number. And when you start with like your normal value models there and so on, you will probably never come to a to an end. So what is, in my opinion, the best way to do this? This is something what I call capability-based discussion. It's taking our the best practices that we talk about a lot in this podcast as a basis, which means like you start, of course, from the baseline, like do a forward-looking discussion, talk to and with business, C-level about business and of course keep it simple. So it means like you're not right on from the beginning talking about the solution, but first you listen, you talk about the customer strategy and situation. And yes, of course, quite often it can happen that the customer says like, I cannot tell you. Then it's probably the best moment really to start with that, to think about it and talk about that. But still, they can give you hints. Like for example, my goal is to have something like the perfect or to offer my customer the perfect customer journey so that they are able to buy and to order from everywhere via every channel and and so on and so on, typical stories. So that's what you really have to set clear in the beginning. Talk about the customer strategy, listen, talk about the situation. Then you still do not talk about the solution, but Together with the customer, you define the capabilities that the customer has to have to fulfill his strategy. So you ask and you discuss with the customer, so what are you able or what do you have to be able to do to realize this kind of strategy? What, what kind of strengths and, and abilities do you need? Like, for example, insight to action is one of a classic capability if i want to have or want to um, implement a strategy which is like on um relying on market to one capability uh, on market to one and something like that you have to have really insight to action capabilities and when you have defined the capabilities that the customer has to have to fulfill his strategy then you can show the customer an architecture with sap applications that give the customer the previous defined capabilities to fulfill his strategy and by this the customer will understand you because you are showing 
applications that give the customer the capability so he's able to fulfill his strategy. This is something which every customer understands. Of course, this demands from you quite a big investment in own artificial intelligence that you really have to know your business, you really have to listen to the customer, who you have to go into that discussion. It takes some time. That's not something like a customer that is coming to you saying like, ah, I've talked to you because you have like... Um, set an end date for your maintenance and then you answer with, okay, I will send you some tools to show you the benefits of S4HANA. That's not the way you should work. That's worst practice. Best practice is to say, okay, this may be like your compelling event at first, but let's talk about your strategy. And then when you do this and you define the capabilities and you do that capability-based discussion and you have an agreement with the customer, what kind of capabilities he needs to be able to fulfill this strategy and you show him how what what applications we can offer him and how these work and what kind of benefits they have then he will understand and this is something which can shorten your sales cycle enormously and help also the customer to have a strat uh, to have um, um, the right mindset already at the beginning of his S4HANA journey and by this everybody wins. So try to do it that way. Again, step one, talk about the customer situation strategy. Step two, define the capabilities that the customer has to have to fulfill this strategy. And then in step three, show the customer application and architecture that give the customer the previous defined capabilities that then can help him to fulfill his strategy. It's basically easy like that, not a big game. So with this, I want to finish our first season. Thank you very much for being loyal listeners and welcome if you are maybe a new listener. If it's like that, then please like, share and subscribe so you never miss a new episode. And by this, I want to wish you all a very beautiful summer. Please stay healthy. Be reasonable, wear your masks and if you have the possibilities, use something of a COVID tracing app on your iPhone. All these things help that we will get out of this messy situation as fast as possible by staying healthy. So thanks a lot. Have a great time. Have a great summer. And I hope we will meet again here in autumn at the SAP Experts Podcast. Bye-bye.